five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. This is the Talking Warhammer segment. We are grateful to have you listening to us today. I've got a very special guest with us today. He is captain of Team America for the World Championship. He's co-captain of the Left uh, Left Coast Corsair Wargaming team. Uh, he's well known in the West Coast gaming circles and all throughout uh, the United States. Welcome, Jeremy Vessier. Hi. Uh, did I say that right? Probably not. Vess- yeah, it's, it's Vessier, but don't <laughs> worry about it. It's close enough. Uh, yeah, so that's the end. Uh, that's my French. I speak French a little bit, and it, I, 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 was, I was getting it wrong, though. Yeah, uh, it's all good. Like, that's a, it's a byproduct of growing up in the United States as a French guy. You're just like, you get, you've made peace with the fact that no one will pronounce your very long consonant na- uh, you know, letter name, so don't worry about it. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> Yeah, well, Jeremy, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, I'm very excited to have you. I knew I, I've want, actually wanted to have you on the show for a while because I was watching the build up to the World's Championship, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. And then it was solidified when you took second place in the um, ACO um, yeah. that just at uh, the Atlantic City Open that was uh, just happened. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to get him on here. So. Welcome to the show. We're, we're we're glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. Now, always yeah, uh, very good. Always make time to sp- uh, preach the uh, you know choir of uh, Team America. So you know, get people uh, <laughs> in the know. You know, we all perfect timing. We're about to open registration to vol- to uh, join the team. So or at least you know try do the the whole like yeah do the whole testing period to see if you can get on the team. So yeah, I look forward to it. That's that's very cool. I want to I want to dive into uh, into all of that. Uh, one of the things that I did not mention that I, I cannot uh, go by without mentioning, but you are also a contributor on the In Your Face Media, which is a podcast, and I believe you guys have a website too. Yeah. Uh, articles and things like that, right? Uh, we have a website. I don't know if it hasn't been in your article for a while, but like we mostly okay. our podcast is like a long form, like once a month podcast instead of. A, yeah, uh, kind of like the weekly thing. Uh, the we tried the weekly thing, but we because uh, we have so many different contributors, it just made more sense to have a monthly one. But yeah, it's called In Your Face. Uh, you can find us in most podcasts, and then we also do. On, we also have a YouTube channel, and it's just literally called In Your Face. Oh, very cool. In Your Face Media, and it's just mostly the uh, uh, the shows basically being edited and uh, um, you know and led by uh, the mastermind uh, John uh, Fuhrerhelm from also the Corsairs. So. And our savvy listeners that have been with us from the beginning will recognize Jeremy because we were on their show when it was the uh, Wide World of Wargaming uh, back in the day. And uh, John also came back onto our show to kind of do a cross-contribution thing, which uh, was a good time. I think I need to reach out back to him and 
and link up because we had a good time together. Oh yeah, I mean it's you can't beat John. He he has like stories that will just blow your mind all the time. So <laughs> you gotta you know you got you got he's got that like kind of like uncle like sit down son I'm gonna tell you a story five so <laughs> yeah totally totally. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good stuff. So, uh, before we get into everything, what are you working on right now? What's what's on your hobby table? Well, I just came back from ACO, and uh, we're when we're recording this podcast right now, we just got like kind of the leaks for the new GHB. So I'm kind of like put yes. all my projects on pause and like figuring out like what the hell do I do next? Uh, because right, yes, <laughs> because a lot of the game has changed drastically, and it's like I can't. I have my own opinion about like where the game is going, and everybody, and it, you know, for a while, it, 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 nobody knows. Like that's the the first. I think it's the first time I've seen a GHB be so controversial. So I know we're not going to spend too much time talking about that. It's always, it's a, uh, but like for the most part, what's on my hobby table right now is uh, a splash of Sylvaneff. It's a splash of Ko. It's a splash of Soulblight. I don't know where I'm going. I love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds great. Yeah, you're just like, well, zombie dragon. I guess I'm just gonna put you aside because monsters aren't a thing anymore, right? So, uh, <laughs> speaking of the controversy, right? Like everybody's looking at this. The thing is, is we all knew it was gonna kind of happen, yeah. right? We knew that like this this was the season of monsters. When the season changes, we knew that like everyone's gonna buy all these monsters, and then we're just gonna have to put those toys on the shelf and and. Uh, you know, do something different. I actually thought it was going to be like cavalry or like elite troops or something like that. Um, I was kind of surprised to see it was battle line. It's as hard as it is now, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm not that surprised. I, I don't know. The uh, we we always knew that, always knew the monster thing was going to end. What I was prepared for was to, and, and I don't want to detract too much from the topic, was the how drastically changed the game is around battle tactics and grand strategies. That was the yes. shocker to me. Uh, so. Oh yeah, yeah. That's actually a really good. That's a really good point because, like, you look at these battle tactics, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Yeah. Um. You know, like, uh, you know, especially like, especially with the monsters, you're like, okay, we'll turn run and run them all up together and get that battle tactic. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like, you you kind of had a plan for them, and um, this is gonna take some play testing. Which with no the Nova Open around the corner, do you come out for the Nova Open? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm playing for the Invitational as well, so I'm gonna be. Uh, oh yeah, oh very good, very cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so the Nova Open uh, with it right around the corner, man, it doesn't give a ton of time to really figure out like some of those good combos, you know. Yeah, no, it's. I think the way I would my initial take after playing like two games of the new JHB was. Um, I think most people expect most games to be like, I'm going to score every battle tactic and my grand strategy. Uh, right. And I think now we just have to come to us to the, the, like, the internal realization that like, that's not necessarily the case anymore. Uh, and I think that's like, that's, that's cool. But also I think for like some really big players, it's kind of a weird dissonance that they, they're having a hard time reconciling and said like, Hey, you might not score all your battle tactics anymore. It's like not as guaranteed anymore. So like, it's, it, you know, it, you could miss battle tactics in the in the previous GHB, but like this GHB, it's like it feels like it's gonna happen way more often than not. Hundred <laughs> percent agreed there. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at them the other day, and I was like, man, these look are really hard, like really, really hard to do. Like you almost have to choose which one you're gonna pursue at the expense of some other ones. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, very, very interesting. We'll see how it shakes out. 
I always, with all of these leaks and stuff that happen, I always like to say, okay, well, I don't know the full story. I need to take exactly. a wait and see approach yeah. yep. because there's always something else that comes out that like wasn't part of the original leak that you're like, okay, it's not as bad as it seems. Everybody, <laughs> you know, like it, it always happens that way. Too. Yeah. Mo- I mean, most, most, most reaction board gamers have, is always like first, like denial and then like, and then like anger and then like, eventually it's yes. like compromise and acceptance. Like you gotta, you go through all the phases. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Exactly. Uh, I would be remiss, and I know this is not really super on topic from what we talked, but I would be remiss to talk about the fact that in 2020 at the Las Vegas Open, which was the last major that I, um, or last grand tournament that I played in, um, because I've got the uh, Nova Open is the next one that I'll be doing in. But in the Las Vegas Open 2020, I got best night haunt there. And the only reason that that happened was because I believe you were playing the Osiarch Bone Reapers. Yes. Uh, and not Night Hunt. Uh, I think. Uh, <laughs> Weren't you a no, no, Night no, Hunt no. player before? No, you, t- you think of Alex Gonzalez. He was playing. Oh, oh yeah. I thought you were the no, Night Hunt player. I was the Fire Slayer player. That's the year I won ITC. Uh, I was Fire, oh. Fire Slayers. Uh, I lost Nova. I lost the LVO finals. I was playing the finals against the, the souped up uh, pre nerfed uh, Hedonites, you know, the White Dwarf updates. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> like the double keeper. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. The pre nerfed one. I was playing that in the finals. Uh, it came down to actually really, it was a really close game. Uh, and um, yeah, but I, that was, that was my year. I ended up having, I went up winning ITC that year uh, with Fire Slayers. It was like, it was obscene. Like I had, like, you know, I, not to like, you know, brag, my, you know, brag about myself but like it was on do uh, it go for on it. gt on a gt <laughs> basis if it was a two-day five-round gt that fire slayer army i took had a 95 percent winning rate which means i only lo- oh my god I, I only lost two games the entire time i played him in gts and that was uh it was lvo and then one other gt so it was like it i played like something like 130 games in total or something with that army okay. and it had like a 95 percent winning rate it was really it, it, not to say like it's me necessary, but like I think people were not like the old days of um, the you know back then it was like one point oh GHB uh, like old yeah. fire slayers were just or the the new you know the second edition of fire slayer were very 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 good army where you didn't have to do like things like battle tactics and grand strategy and just sit on objectives. Right, right. <laughs> it was like, very yep, good. Yeah, <laughs> and you had like you had like you could have like thirty of them if I'm not mistaken, and like. Um, you know, with the uh, with the banner and all that stuff, like they were just impossible to move. Oh yeah, yeah, they were they were very unkillable. Uh, they could completely body block people off objectives, and they hit really hard too. It was it was an obscene uh, it was an obscene army for like in terms of when you think about like how it's designed and how the missions played. So I yeah, I, I, yeah no, it was a it was I had a lot of I, I mean I had a lot of fun. I don't like my opponents at all. Even so, my my co- <laughs> my my teammate and co-captain for the Corsairs, Alex, was had so much PTSD from playing against that that fire slow list because we would usually like if we played in like the Northwest, we'd end up playing at some point or another in the tournament. And he was uh, yeah. uh, uh, he was just like he just evolved like some like you know some PTSD from seeing those fire those angry dwarves across the table he just he probably still has nightmares from them now <laughs> so uh, he's like all i see is half naked dwarf men in my dreams 
<laughs> How do I kill these assholes? <laughs> so. That's great. Yeah. Oh, so I apologize for getting you confused with Alex. Oh, it's all good. Uh, He's better looking you know, more uh, handsome, so you know it's, it makes sense. Oh, <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take. I'll take that. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Now, um, you're based out of Seattle. Nope. Right? <laughs> no. Close. Is he based out of Seattle? No, no, no. He, I'm based. We're, we're okay. both. Eddie and Alex are, they live in Portland, Oregon, so it's like close to Seattle. Oh, Portland. Yeah, okay. Okay. I got you. Pacific Northwest. You can, yeah, we. Uh, uh, the uh, I play. I do play a lot of events in Seattle. Since the uh, the other team that lives uh, that plays out there play, runs a lot of events, which is really nice. Uh, but yeah, are those the uh, two plus tough guys? Uh, it's uh, Victoria's Secret and, and two plus tough is uh, oh. or we're rolling ones. You know that pot that uh, show slash yep. podcast is yep. up, out of there too. So yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, re- I remember running into them at uh, LVO and, and the Nova Open before, and um, really liking them. They were really, good, really good guys. So, um, how what's the gaming scene in Portland like? Uh, we have like a, a ton. Like, so if you don't know anything about the Pacific Northwest, and when people ask me this, it's uh, you know it's the home of Wizard of the Coast. Uh, so there, like, there's mm-hmm. a, sh- a crap ton of like tabletop gamers and point board game gamers it's yeah. also where war machine comes from privateer press comes from they're from seattle oh that's right uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. like there is like a ton of people who play now if you ask me what's the competitive scene like it's a bit like murkier because we got a lot of players will play like for example like my i have like there's six major game stores in portland it's not a huge city but uh-huh. there's six major game stores and one of like all of them usually get like thirty to forty players each week on their league or when they, they do their Warhammer night. So like it's a pretty large amount wow. of like uh, of players. Uh, but the uh, the you know when you're talking about competitive, it's a bit like you get you know you don't a lot of people are kind of like they play it as more like you know their hobby and like what we you know typically describe as garage hammer. And not necessarily like you know competitive yeah. ha- uh, warhammer, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it, it people when they usually ask me that question is for a competitive reason. I'm like, well, we don't actually get a like we get maybe like a solid like 45 players consistently showing up to events. Uh, uh-huh. But the and usually the same guys almost always. Uh, but in terms of like uh, if you want to if you're interested in just coming to an area and see if there's a lot of war gaming happening, yeah, Pacific Northwest is a ton of people who play uh, all types of tabletop games. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, uh, so our podcast, I mean, this is the Talking Warhammer segment of our podcast. We um, have uh, several segments dedicated to just, like, role-playing games and board games and and uh, things like that. And then we um, also do a Warcry segment as well um, that's dedicated to Warcry. But, um, yeah, the... Um, the uh, th- that's very cool. Like Wizards of the Coast is there. I bet there's a lot of magic tournaments there too. Yeah, you know, I bet there's a ton. Yeah, there's a so. lot. I mean, that's their. Yeah. That, you know that those stores I talked about. You know, they get 40 players a week. Like their their Friday night magic is like almost a hundred. Like these are big stores. Like, like if you yeah. want, if you ever guys want to look them up, like I think like the there's kind of a franchise, also super nice store called Mox Boarding House, uh, which is obviously uh-huh. a magic reference. But like they're like they have a super nice like cafe bar with a huge gaming wow. space, and then I mean their 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 company is I think it's uh, Card Kingdom who owns Mox Morning House, which is a huge okay. MTG okay. Uh, uh, you know reseller, right? Effectively, um, so yeah, for the most part, and then they're they super awesome secret download fact they're their own distributor, so their store sells uh, Games Workshop products for fifteen percent off 
permanently. What? <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, I live in Portland, which is wow. no sales tax. So, like, that, I do all my shopping at Mox, basically, because it's, like, a permanent, like, discounted, like, uh, product. So I, uh, and they have a huge inventory, so I never have to, like, I would never have to worry about it. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. You know, I'm just That's trying to get people, like, hey, you know what I... You know, if you ever want to move for wargaming reasons, you should consider Portland. <laughs> You're like, it's a cheaper expense in my life with how much I spend on little plastic dollies. Exactly. You know, so. <laughs> it's a quality of life thing. So um, that's awesome. Well, let's talk about the um, the Atlantic City Open that you just got done with. I think it was, uh, what, two weekends ago? That sounds right. That's, that feels right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, two weekends ago, um, you took second place there. You were playing Soul Blight Grave Lords. Um, do you want to kind of give us a little overview of your list that you took there? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, you know, we jokingly talked about like the Vampire Zombie Lord Dragon earlier, uh, and yeah. I was like, I actually don't have any because I, I, I think they're they're like super bad. But this list itself is, uh, um, it's. It's Legion of Blood, which is not traditionally what you see in a Soulblight army, which is usually between Burgos or Legion of Night. Uh, and yep, yep. Uh, it's 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 designed around one thing and one thing only, and that's to super punish aggressive melee armies. Uh, because the, com- oh. the combo it plays around is Neferata, uh, Manfred, and then a Vampire Lord uh, on foot for the plus two to cast uh, Legion of Blood mechanic. And okay, and uh, okay. and then I have uh, a, a block of ten blood knights. So if you see blood knights and Neferata, the first thing you're gonna think of, oh great, they're gonna have unrendable three up save. Uh, right, and it's this big block of blood knights, which are a little bit unwieldy to use in terms of swinging, but they're like a super amazingly effective screen. So what it does is uh, the ar- oh, I'll go over the rest of the army, but for the most part, the playstyle is. You, when an aggressive army try to hit your army, they usually bounce off, and then like you have your man, your your two mortars behind. We can kind of like basically pick off the things they want to pick off, or like fly over and score points. And then the army's backed by twenty grave guards that use you know come from the grave to go hit them in the rear or on the flanks or whatever. Uh, and finally, the coup de gras is uh, the army is designed around. Uh, bravery mechanics as well. So Legion of Blood is this okay. uh, mechanic which you re- if you're in combat of a vampire, that's Legion of Blood. So the Blood Knights or Nephrata or the Vampire Lord on foot. Uh, yep. You when you fail a battle shock, uh, you lose an extra D3 models, uh, and then on top of that, uh, I run a horror gas in the list, and then the horror gas prevents inspiring presence for units holy event twelve, enemy units holy event twelve, and it does the same mechanic as Legion of Blood. And so in some games, I, I, wow. I did... so 2D3? Yeah, 2D3. I think against uh, uh, Marcella in the last round, I think the Horogast, like, screeched off, like, effective between the combination of Legion of Blood and, and the Horogast, it screeched off, like, six or seven uh, melee snakes throughout the game, which made the difference between a, a unit sticking around one model to just, like, or, like, you know, or a few models to just, just being dead from Battle Shock, basically. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and... You know, now that I've kind of explained the mechanics, I'll go over the full list. So it's it's Manfred, Neferata, Vampire Lord on song, uh, Vampire Lord on foot uh, as the general with uh, Arcane Tome, uh, Master of Magic. So it's basically your roll cast, okay. two cast level. First cast it does is plus two to cast. And then for troops, I have two units of Skeleton, uh, two units of Black Knights for battle line because they're uh, in each of let their battle line. And okay. I also have uh, 20 Grave Guards. The Horogast, 
as my endless bell. And I believe that's it for my army. There is no, I, I can't remember anything off the top after that. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, it, oh, 10 Blood Knights. I forgot the 10 Blood Knights. Uh, oh, yeah, and then there we go. That's the that's the list effectively. And you interesting. You use the black the black knights as super effective. Like like if you don't have a, a buffed up blood knights of unrenderable saves, you can use the black knights to screen for them. Uh, they're also super okay. nice at like snagging objectives or harassing like kind of backfield scoring units. Or when they die, yeah. they come back with three models from you know the the gravesite mechanic. So they're just like a, a persistently annoying unit because they do anytime they charge, they do potentially D three mortal wounds. They have decent profile. Uh, like they're not the worst thing. They're not great either, but they're just super effective for hundred points. And their five man yeah. five man units are like a very big screening, uh, very mobile screen you can use to block movement or block charges or you know they're just super highly functional. Uh, and for, yeah. And then uh, I guess for spells, I run I ran a Decrepify on Nefrata, which is debuffs a hero by reducing its damage by one and its ability to move by one. And then Manfred had a, a Fading Figure, which is reduces the attack profile uh, of a unit by one, uh, which came in into huge play because I think I, I I got both of them off on uh, Morathi, the Shadow Queen, uh, wow. with the double casts because you know if you play Soul Blight, if you roll an, a natural nine, a modified nine or higher. Uh, they double effects the spell, and then some spells can be stacked on uh, units. So like minus two attack, minus two to wound, minus two damage on Marathi for like almost two whole turns, and that was Ooh. like you just completely crippled their output effectively. Uh, so, yeah, for sure. So for the most part, like that's that's how the list plays. It's just super. It's kind of control. It's not super aggressive. Uh, it plays. Okay. It plays to the, like I said, punishes aggressive melee army. And at ACO, I played almost nothing but aggressive melee armies. Do you want? <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say like the the meta right now wants you to be kind of aggressive, especially like with the monsters and things like that. Like, you you kind of need to get up in the in in people's faces, right? So like if you think about, um, obviously uh, the Auric War Clans, right? Yeah. The even the Eidenus uh, Deepkin, you want to get aggressive there too. So um, there's plenty of Alpha Strike aggressive armies that are good in the meta right now that um, that I could see crash up against the rocks of your Blood Knights right there. Um, the idea of using Blood Knights as a screen, I think, is kind of interesting. You know, because I always think about them like, don't let them charge you, don't let them charge you. Um, because they could they can do some good stuff when they charge obviously but um letting you charge them i think is kind of hilarious that for them to soak it all up and and then just give it back yeah they uh they i mean it's a you know you, you it's a 30 wound block that has a three up save so and they're pretty dense in terms of port space so like they it, and then and honestly like i I've, I've played so many test games against alex or myself where the blood knights are just not a very good like hammer unit they're just they don't they yeah. don't very hit specifically super hard uh but they they can tank so well um that like with the unrendable they're just uh they're just amazing so that's that's awesome yeah i guess they i mean they've only what got three attacks threes threes and threes negative one one damage yeah, yeah. It's okay. Yeah, on the it's on okay. a charge, it's plus it's plus one damage. I mean, they can they yeah. can like the one big thing is you know they, you can't lock them in combat ever because they uh -huh. when they they don't actually retreat they can just basically make a normal move while in combat, 
which is its significant distinction because it means that uh, um, things that prevent retreat don't work against them. Like there, oh, there's a bunch yeah. of like new mechanics that just came out recently, like from Doc, uh, Nighthawk, uh, Sylvan yep, F yep. that prevents uh, retreat. Uh, and that's that make that rule, I believe, uh, as I read it, like circumvents that because they never count as retreating. They always count as making a normal move, uh, which is, you know, it's going to be significant going forward. But like, it's also like, hey, it's a block that you can't lock. So it's a screw. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's massively advantageous in a lot of situations. Very good. So tell me about your matches. Yeah. So, so the first person, the first, actually the first player I played was a, uh, a Legion of First Prince. So it was a control army versus kind of a pseudo control army. <laughs> so, right, uh, right. the, and, and the game, you know, did not go very well for my opponent. He's just like the big thing about Legion of Blood. They just don't have a lot of bodies that, and then they depend on their heroes to like punch their way out of things. But like you know, a fully debuff uh, greater because uh, he used the one the D Thurster and you know Manfred and Nefrata managed to completely like reduce like his ability like basically debuff them and he didn't do anything and then the rest of the army kind of cherry picked all of his like small things and then he he yeah. made a, he he made this interesting charge where he charged Bellacore into Nefrata and I was very curious because I was like he because I asked him like you know what she does like, he's like yeah yeah yeah. And then, and then at the end of the game, I managed to like wound, or sorry, at the end of the turn, I managed to wound uh, Bellacor with uh, Nefrata's dagger. And if you don't know, the the mechanic of her is like you roll any hero that gets wounded by that dagger at the end of the combat phase, you roll dice on a five plus, the hero dies, or is just slain. And that's what happened to Bellacor. Oh my god! <laughs> and I was just no way. I was like, why are you make? Like, at first, I was I. I rolled that dice and it came up a five up in front of him and he's like, okay, Belcourt's dead. He's like, haha, funny. I'm like, no, 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 that's that, that's a thing. He's like, no, you're kidding. I'm like, no, look it up. Like, so he didn't, didn't believe me. Even after wow. even after he charged, I asked him, you know what Nefrata does, right? <laughs> like, I was like, uh, and he's like, yeah, 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 it's fine. It's, it's like, uh, it's a, he's like, he, he's like, yeah, yeah, I totally know. Now I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me. Uh, and then for my round two opponent, I believe I played uh, Iron Jaws, if I remember correctly. Let's see. Okay. Uh, I played, yeah, Iron Jaws with a Rogue Idol and a Mega Boss. It's a little bit different than like traditional Blood Tooth because it has a Rogue Idol. But once again, like, yeah. it's it's an aggressive melee army to an army that is super anti-aggressive me- uh, like, melee. So that game just went up. Especially Iron Jaws, which have low bravery. Like, it's just like... Yeah, I, like, I, that poor guy is like, what just happened to my army? Yeah, he, uh, on turn, I think on turn, turn, the bottom of turn one, I think he had no pigs left, or like one unit left. Uh, and like literally the six-man pig unit disappeared because they failed the Battleshock test. I think he oh I think gosh. he had three of them left, and they failed Battleshock, and, uh, and they were both in range of the Horcass, a vampire. So it didn't matter whatever. Even if he just rolled one running, the other two would run automatically. Yeah. So it was just... It yeah. was super brutal. Uh, oh, that is brutal. That's so brutal. Because he's like, oh boy, here we go. Like, licking his chops. Right? And next thing you know, they run away. That's not... Yeah. That's not cool, dude. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? You know what? I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I will, I've always been a big fan of bravery mechanics. So anytime I could, like, make bravery, like, like gimmicks work, I'm always, uh, I'm always happy. Just something about, like... Because for so long people ignore bravery and battle shock because it 
them so many armies oh, just yeah. straight up ignore it and so they're always surprised when like that mechanic like sneaks its way in and just like wrecks them they're like why is this a thing i totally forgot battleshock is a mechanic i should care about <laughs> so. oh yeah yeah definitely and i think with some of the um like with night hunt for example not being able to um uh like the if you're if you're terrified you can't do an inspiring presence yeah. thing like i think we're going to start seeing more bravery mechanics and i'm a big fan of that well too. so let's you know there's way more than that now because you got uh nurgle with over, uh, overwhelming stench right their command trait that yep, prevents yep. command abilities period so like that includes inspiring presence uh and then uh, yep. the dok got a new battle uh, command trait that does prevents inspiring presence as well or or no, it's an artifact, I believe. It's an art, or a rel- yeah, relic or whatever that prevents that. Mm-hmm. See, I, I can, sometimes I can't turn my brain off between Age of Sigmar and 40k. I use like the lingo between the two of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then yes, there is the Orgas, obviously, and then there's Nighthawk, uh, and so like there, and I believe Sylvanev got something that does something with bravery. I forgot if it prevents inspiring presence or not. Like there's just a like yeah, like Battle Shock is a thing that matters, especially since. I think they removed it pretty much all immunity to Battleshock mechanics. Like, I think OBR is the only army left with immunity to Battleshock. Uh, right. Doc right. used to have it from the Hack Queens, uh, and that's gone. Uh, so, like, yeah, so, like, Battleshock is making, it's creeping its way back into being a mechanic that matters. And Fire Slayers used to have it as well, and that's gone as well now. Um, so, yeah. so, all these kind of Battleshock trickery are well, and I was going to say that um, the, I think the key is is that they rolled a lot of these out just before um, this new season of war came when we do have hordes that, you know, some of them don't have great, great bravery. And I mean, obviously, like if you lose some piggies compared to like five, you know, battle line, you know, chaff troops, like who cares? But um, now that the armies are a little bit smaller uh, because of you know the points increases and things like that from you know when we moved into 3.0. into 3.0 um, you know the the battle shot can play a major role in in whether and how well you do in that game yeah yeah especially yeah as, uh, to echo your sentiments with the new GHB pushing towards like big blocks of battle line units like battle shock is gonna you know be a huge like way to make sure that you, those units can't rally next round, right? By, by basically making them disappear off the Battleshock roll. Like, that's, like, that's yeah. the big, uh, uh, that's going to be the big, big important thing. Because there, there is nothing more frustrating than you, like, let's say, killing, like, six out of ten snakes. You know, they inspire presence, but they removed all the models, so they're out of combat. And then the next turn, they spend a command point for a rally uh, to start the hero phase, and they bring back, like, you know, five. Because they're on a four up instead of a six up, and you're like, oh, yeah, no, you're kidding. like, what the hell yeah. is this bullshit? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, like now, now you know, with with a lot of these anti battle shock things, and and you know, it's so funny because we had a long discussion with, um, I don't know if you know Lincoln Tidwell um, at all. Uh, but he's a player out here, but uh, anyway, I had a long discussion with him about like the advantages of having rally at the beginning of the hero phase yeah. versus um, versus the end of the battle shock phase or whatever, you know? So uh, that makes a big, big, big difference yeah. there. Yeah. The, uh, it's going to be, I mean, I see the, I now see a lot more value into like the battle for fire slayers with the new change, the new mm-hmm. GHB. But before that, I was kind of like, this guy kind of does nothing for this army, but now it like makes a lot more sense. Uh, I, yeah. I, 
I'm just like, and then uh, I was gonna mention uh, t- uh, that like the, the the big thing about like rally is that now there's literally a mission in, in the new GHB that, that like everybody gets improved rally. So <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> interesting. So we'll have uh, we'll have uh, people are gonna. I think I think most rally is one of those uh, mechanics. A lot of like newish players or or not very experienced players like never used to their full advantage. Uh, and, and, right. and I think I agree. And this is going to be a mechanic I think more people are going to like get acquainted with, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, you know, because we're moving into the Battle Lion stuff, like you're going to have a block of 40, so you lose 20. Rally all of a sudden makes sense, yeah. right? Like, Because yeah. you're rolling a dice for 20, and on a 6-up, I mean, you're getting hopefully 3 or 4, maybe 5 back. Uh, you know, whereas like when I was running my brutes in, in with my orcs, I'd lose two. A rally doesn't make sense there, you yeah. know, unless I desperately need it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I think we'll see it a lot, a lot more. Um, but that's if that's if the uh, the troops don't get wiped off the board from the battle shock in the beginning, right? Exactly. So. <laughs> the, uh, um... Very good, very good. All right, so you played uh, you played uh, a. I played Tom Legion of the First Prince list, yeah. and then Orc uh, uh, Iron Jaws, and who was your third? Who's your third matchup? Oh, I played a, a, local, a you know well-known celebrity of Agent Sigmar, uh, Warmer Weekly Tom. <laughs> oh, did yeah, you now? Okay, yeah, I played him in his Nighthawk. What was he playing? What's he playing Nighthawk? Yeah, he was playing his Nighthawk. Uh, uh, the event. Okay. It was a. It was a very. I so this was my first game against New Nighthawk because I was in. Yeah. Literally in Europe for like a month before uh, ACO, so I haven't been able to uh, get any uh, like real games against it. So it was both a learning experience and also kind of uh, 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 like I made a couple of mistakes that all could like could have cost me the game, but like he also Tom also made a couple of mistakes that really cost him the game, and then I had oh, no. and then <laughs> had uh, and then I had like really bad luck. Like I had like ten grave guards charge like twenty of his uh, chain rasp. And like he lost uh-huh. eighteen out of the ten. Uh, How? I just he even spent the command point for the five up route, a five up uh, uh, shrug. No. And I, oh. I think I, I I did ten wounds and had three mortal wounds from the grave guards, which was slightly wow. slightly above average. Uh, and then yeah. he just they like he felt this five, a bunch of five like a lot of five ups and then failed another round of a lot of five ups and they just disappeared and. And it allowed me to start the clock on all three objectives, and then it's that mission where you score points based on uh, what turn count it is, and the objectives don't oh, come in yeah. until like turn two. And it was just literally like it, like that basically allowed me to have all three objectives for starting on turn three, uh, or no, starting on turn yeah, bottom of turn three. And it's just like it really put him so far behind in points; it was going to be hard to come back, especially since there was yeah. nothing in his army that could really go fight the grave guards because they're basically too busy fighting the rest of the blood knights and the uh uh the mortarks so it was uh it it, it, it was in that in that way that that one dice roll basically made it a very one-sided game uh but for the most part like it was pretty close i mean he, he stopped me from scoring two battle tactics uh so that was pretty that was very good like yeah I, those 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 damn redeploy six kept rolling sixes six uh sixes on redeploys really cost me a <laughs> those battle <laughs> tactics uh you're like stay here please don't make don't make this three inch charge become a nine inch charge we roll and still fail <laughs> damn it <laughs> so uh, so anyway no it was it, it, it was uh 
it was an unfortunate end uh, of that game because like it was like neck and neck until like that literally happened and then it just like it, it yeah. just it just swung one hundred percent the opposite way. So at the end of the day, we play a dice game, yeah. right? And that's just sometimes how they roll. You know, I, it was funny because I I. I uh, cut my teeth playing with some pretty good players out here. It was Garrett Mulroney that actually brought me into playing Age of Sigmar. Another Corsair. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. Of course. Um, and um, But uh, we, you know, I'd play and I'd be like, oh, man. like, And I, and I kind of complain about my dice. And he's just like, look, like, you can complain about the dice all you want, but good players learn how to win despite the dice. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I took that to heart because it's true, you know, like you, you know how to like sort of mitigate for bad roles and make sure you don't put yourself in positions where you are going to, um, you know, lose if you don't make that really good role or whatever. So, you know, you, you, you learn tactics to keep yourself out of trouble and to really, you know, put the vice on when, when other players are, uh, when, when you need to, when you need to make that win. But at the end of the day it's still a dice game, you know? So it can come back at the worst times and, and get you with a dice roll. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, it's also the best part of the game because it gives you stories to regale uh, your, your your friends uh, who share the hobby with you. Like, like there's nothing more, like, like, quintessential than, like, the post, you know, the lunch break where everybody's just like, so this happened in my game. <laughs> and then the next guy's yep. like, well, yep. hold my beer. Let me show you. Like, <laughs> let me tell you about what happened yeah. in my game. So. Yep. <laughs> For sure, for sure. You're like I needed, uh, I needed a nine on the charge, and I rolled an eight, and an eight, and I lost the game. You know what I mean? And and uh, you know, I've had plenty of those when I played Night Hunt before, where it's like I could have won the game if I just would have made the charge. You know, so um, plenty of good stuff. So that sounds like an interesting one. So that was your fourth, uh, sorry, third game. Um, with Night Hunt, um, what were your two last ones? I played a uh, Wicked Dicey player uh, from, so from Boston. He, he played Iron Jaws, and it was uh, it, his list instead of Blood Tube was uh, uh, Iron Sons. Um, but okay. it's you know the same problem. Like he, uh, it's just an aggressive melee army fighting an army that is completely designed to just shut that down. And and, and yeah. in fact, like when it up happening uh, in uh, in that game, I failed to cast uh, the unrendable save. Uh, for the first two turns and actually he he took that as like kind of like his chance to pounce but the problem is uh-huh. like between the screens of the black knights and so forth uh he wasn't really able to maximize his hits into the blood knights and then at the end of the day the blood knights are still a three up save but to, well they had oh. mystic shield so they were two up and then like all at defense yeah because they're hunters of the heartland so you can't roar them so one up and they just didn't really punch through the blood knights even about unrendable and then the rest of the army kind of just like he had a, a block of 15 brutes like literally killed like one blood knight i think and he just rolled bad and oh and it just, that is a sad and day it just like it just wasn't enough damage and then the entire block like disappeared from the horror gas plus the uh, it's just like it's just super brutal he did he did pre- oh. he did prevent a battle tactic of mine by basically using the iron sons mechanic like i was literally like not a little bit more than nine inches away from a unit of uh uh, uh, sorry, you made like an 11 inch charge with some fours that allowed him to stop mm-hmm. me from scoring uh, my conquer battle tactic. So that, oh, wow. that was kind of like, you know, in that sense, like that was pretty amazingly good too. Uh, but it is, it yeah. is like, 
you'll see a theme. Like so, like I ended up winning, but I lost some battle tactics, which comes into um, huge play because the battle tactics were the how tiebreakers were basically for bracketing was decided. Yep. So it meant like I I had all uh, I was an undefeated player, but I was in the lower end of the undefeated bracket effectively. Right. Um, and then my last game with round five was against. Uh, I was Marcella who played her daughters of Cain uh, army and and then once again super aggressive melee army playing against an army that super punishes yep. that and in that matchup like I could do no wrong like there was like all the spells were going off like the blood knights were unrendable the entire time Marcella I, wow. Marcella literally asked me how do you how do I beat your army and I was just like well don't get super aggressive play like try to wait until turn three or four to start like engaging try to score the points and like because you're just gonna find yourself, you're not gonna win the war of attrition if you engage like super fast. And she's like, okay, okay. Right. And the first thing she does is, is charge me with Marathi turn one. And I'm like, <laughs> 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 we, well, I, well, I guess there go. Like, she saw an opportunity to try to like snipe Manfred by charging uh-huh. outside of his three and then piling it into it. But I redeployed in a way that made it impossible for her to do that. But she still charged anyway. So then Manfred bolted. And she saw another opportunity with like all of her multi-activation mechanic to try to pile in enough times to get to swing into Neferata, which she did. But at that point, uh, she ended up like... So she forced her to double turn because she had bottom of the turn. Yeah. She took top of second, did that whole trick. But then Neferata ended up surviving with like three wounds left. Uh, and, oh. and so she did kill her. And then when I was bottom of the turn, like at that point, like Marathia had taken like six wounds because she was basically using the Blood Knights as a surfing board to get into, uh, <laughs> to pile in towards uh, Neferata. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, and, yeah. And then she basically like took like half damage. So she was dead by the top, the bottom of turn three. Like she died on the bottom of turn three. So that was like oh. losing like, uh, and then like her snakes were like trying to charge the end bits of the Blood Knights. Uh, and they were just like losing one, three or four models from uh, the Blood Knights swinging back and not really doing anything to the Blood Knights. And then the uh, uh, the, the bravery modifiers from the Death Rattle plus the Horgas meant like, and the Legion of Blood mechanic meant she kept feeling Battle Shock and like losing a bunch of those snakes that way. So she yeah. she did what I told her not to do and then lost pretty badly. I think it was like she was basically yeah. tabled by this top of the turn, bottom of turn three. Oh, and she yeah, totally overextended. Exactly. I mean, the mission kind of forced yeah. her to extend because it's the one of two far away objectives in the center, and then one home objectives down the center. Uh, and yeah. She she played like I didn't think she played badly, but like I I just thought if she just waited like maybe a next another turn, I think the game would have gone a very different way instead of just like throwing mm. in like on turn one, and that was the end of that end of that game effectively. Once again, like super premium matchup for my army like uh super aggressive melee army i'm surprised that her crystal gaze uh touched it and do much more against her blood knight she kept using it because that's a really powerful mechanic she, I, when every she kept killing one knight with marathi and i kept pulling the one knight that was face to face oh interesting so every time she activated marathi first and killed the blood knight uh uh or she or activated the sisters and killed the blood knight I would just pull the one that was in base. So I was, oh, so, yeah. And and the uh, Very smart. and then uh, after the first time she she lost some models from battle shock, she kept removing models away from the blood knights because she just I don't want to take more battle shock from it. Uh, 
and and yeah. then when they re- they retreated and recharged the, her entire army, like they just killed the snakes. Like that's the one thing that blood knights have like pretty good okay chance at killing is things with like low save value uh, and like are not super high wound costed. Like they're actually pretty good against that. But it's like because we've been playing in a meta that's been like super highly durable like monsters, so blood knights don't tend to do very yeah. well against. But against infantry units, they tend to be pretty uh, effective at killing. So it was that kind of yeah. like that thing. It's like they're just better at killing the snakes than the snakes were at, at killing them. I gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense. That makes more sense. Yeah, I, uh, I you know, my friend was running a protector list the other day, and man, th- like the save on that guy, he had them down to, to effectively a one plus, yeah. right? Um, and so the snakes got into him, and uh, he ended up like not taking any damage from their attacks, but then they just did the crystal touch and lost the entire unit. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's like, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, the crystal touch can be super brutal, but it has, like I said, like it. It is if I, if I remember correctly, the, the way Marcel described it to me, the mechanic happens after they swing. So before, yep. after after you were casualty, and it's a one inch reach. So if you just pull yourself out of one inch, they, they can't do it. If I understand correctly. Uh, oh, that's very interesting. And, and you know what? Before I you know make myself look at, you know sound stupid. I'm no, I think you're right. And up. and the thing is, is they yeah they they do it right after they swing. And if you, um, they have to be within one inch. And, uh, but if, as long as one is within one inch, the whole unit gets exactly. to uh, do their role, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So after the, I saw in the first time, and all of its attack have been resolved, you can pick one enemy unit. So yeah, after you remove casualties, it's, that's when attacks are resolved. So if you just pull yourself out of one inch, they can't. Uh, so, so, Oh, that's a very interesting point because I didn't even think about that. Because when you resolve the attacks, you have to remove the casualties right away, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. The, wow. Yeah, uh, and that actually. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. The most. The most of the time, I was using them. Once again, this is where Black Knights come in super useful. Uh, using uh-huh. using them on the flanks to basically like restrict like the funneling the charges, so she can really maximize like uh, ability to swing into the the Blood Knights anyway. Uh, and then she ended up mostly just killing the Black Knights anyway because they were the ones scoring the points more than focusing the Blood Knights. Yeah. So in, in the in the grand spectrum of things, like it was just like it, it, she started the clock too early, and if she just waited like I think one more turn of the game, it would have been a lot closer than it was. Right. Um, but you know, one of the things that amazed me about the Doc book, and this is going to echo for the new GHB, is holy god, their battle tactics are super easy to score. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, yeah. they have bonus. They get bonus points. And I was like, I don't think any battle right. tactics from any other battle tome gets bonus points. Like, potentially. Like, potentials. Like, that was, I was, like, blown away. Like, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that, that surprised me, too. When I saw that, I'm like, okay, well, I guess they're just going to be using their, oh, their yeah, battle tactics there. I mean, they require some list construction. But, like, for the most part, like, they're not super punitive in list design and and they're super. The fact that they give bonus points, I was just like, I was just shocked because I didn't see a single battle tome, uh, uh, battle tactic before they gave bonus points. So that was the first one. I was like, or if I, I can't recall of any other one that gives uh, bonus points, basically, uh, especially all high. Yeah, I literally just, I literally just grabbed my night hunt book that was next to me to see if they get any bonus ones. I know the Sylvan F's don't, and I don't think the Skaven ones do either. So I think it's yeah. These, these are this is the first tome that gets bonus points in its battle tactic. 
Sounds like somebody at Games Workshop HU really likes DOK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some of these are like some of the Night Hunt ones aren't terrible. Like, there's like the, like the Black Coach can get a battle tactic if it, if it ends its turn within. Yeah, yeah. They're they're you know three inches of an objective, but you got to take the Black Coach there. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean. So, like and that Black Coach is a little bit more restrictive because it's a 331 model versus like the yeah. The one that's like shoot and fade or whatever for the dock, which is basically two 90 point units, and that you want to take anyway most of the time. So, like, <laughs> right, it's right. like okay. Uh, no, it's just it. I, and also, their grand strategy was amazing. Like, she's like, she was like, I was like, my grand strategy is every unit in my army is either at least swing once or die. And I'm like, how's that like, what? How's that hard? I don't understand. That's like, <laughs> that's like give me. That, especially with Doc, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, Doc is either going to swing or die. Like, uh, like, I'm racking my brain over here for like three points of the new GHB, and I'm like, oh my god, like, which, uh, uh, which grand strategy do you take? They're all so hard. <laughs> Doc is just like, yeah. well, I just have it's... to uh, execute my simplest plan. Run at you. <laughs> <laughs> Run at you and fight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess that prevents them from hiding the witch elf in like the block of forty or the the witch hag in the yeah you, in you, um you know you can't play that in the middle of the unit. You can't play that list with your, uh, that grand strategy with expecting your army to like use like deck cherry. It's basically yeah yeah that's yeah yeah yeah. But still though, I mean like that's just ridiculous. So yeah, yeah. interesting. Is it is it the era of Doc again? I don't know. We'll see. Find out at ten. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny because um, when the dragon list came out for Stormcast, right, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, this is unbeatable." It took the, it took the meta about a month to figure it out. Well, let's, let's you know, keep in and, mind they also nerfed them by adjusting points, like by a hundred. That's or true. Something. <laughs> They're like, uh, just kidding, guys. And, just kidding. And, like, and then they also nerfed them too, so that they they didn't get minus one to be wounded, like that commentary. Like there was some substantial nerves before that. <laughs> that's true. Could you? I mean, and I feel bad for any of our listeners that went out and bought a whole bunch of dragons, being like, "These guys are going to be amazing." And then GW is like, "Just kidding," because um, that, that they're still sucks, really but, good. They're just you know, not. They, they are. They're they are. not. Now that the, the the GHB is not around monsters as much, like you don't necessarily see all dragon armies, but they're still really good as bounty hunters. So like, they're phenomenal. That's a very good point, and they're not as big of a liability yeah, either exactly. because they were monsters, yeah. right? So yeah, they're still yeah, that's a I, good point. They're not. I forgot. Are they priority points? Yeah, I think so. Right, they're priority targets. I don't know. That's gonna go. Who knows? By the, by, by we're recording this before the balance patch, which is coming out. Three days for us, so like I don't know. We'll yeah, see right. what happens in three days. <laughs> right now, it's just pure speculation, yeah. right? That we could do. So yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. Well, congratulations on your uh, second place finish at, uh, at ACO. It sounds like the difference between second and first was some of those battle tactics that you. Uh, yeah. missed out on yeah. um you know and which is a which again kind of swings around comes full circle to what we talked about in the beginning of of this with the new ghb coming out which is a lot of those battle taxes are going to be very hard to get and that could be a big difference on you know i mean you could finish like difference between like a top 10 finish and like 30 30 you know 30th place because you may not get hardly any of your battle tactics yeah um, as you as you go, you know. So before I, I jump on that comment um, on that, I do want to say that the person who did win the event at ACO was Emma, who's a Team America player playing 
against Bill uh-huh. Souza in the finals. <laughs> so, wow. Almost identical armies. It was both drowned men and like Buzzboil, uh, uh, Light Lords. And, and originally, AC was supposed to have six rounds, but they didn't have it. They, they put it up to a vote because we didn't hit the 90 player cap for six rounds. And I was just like, oh, Emma, you dodged me. We didn't get that six round. You didn't get the flavor. <laughs> <laughs> I think she would have. That's awesome. I think she would have won anyway, but it would have been funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, that's great. Well, let's uh, let's let's move into Team America because I mean, there you go, right? Top, yeah. top, like you know, players there in their last round were all Team America folks. Yeah. So, um, I know you told me earlier about your captaincy, but um, you know, I'm still calling you Captain America until I hear official news, unless you're going to give me some official news today. I, I, don't, I'm, I don't think it's like a, it's not a well-kept secret by any chance. I don't think we, we uh, so for, <laughs> for the most part, like, so in two, two, two turn world tournament ago, Bill Souza was the captain and he also kind of helped create the event. The, Cause originally it was ETC and then ETC fell apart. And then Bill basically, uh-huh. you know, identified there was still a market for this event. So they he, they started him and the Europeans uh, from different uh, captains from different teams started uh, AOS Worlds, which is the World Championship. And he was captain for the Milan one. Uh, and then he wanted to take a break and asked me to basically do, uh, take over the ship in a sense. And I was like, hell no, I don't want it. And he's just like, well, there's no one else. So I'm like, okay, I guess I have to. <laughs> <laughs> in a sense though no. i mean like i was glad to be asked but it was kind of like holy shit i don't really no like i this was like that year was my first world's championship so like you know i i still still rookie-eyed and uh and so forth and then uh, so i was captain last year for Prague, uh and then bill will resume captain's ship for the next one uh in 2023 and i i basically told him because uh, he was really reluctant about being captain against a lot of work. So I said, you know what? I'll, right. I'll take care of all the logistics. You just focus on like making sure the team wins. And that's like, so basically what I'm doing is I'm taking over all the logistic aspect of the captain ship. And then, uh, and nice. And take care of like actually bringing us to home the trophy. So that's the only thing that matters. <laughs> right. At the end of the day, that's what you're going to be judged by, right? Is how well did you do at Worlds? Not um, which beds did you guys get to sleep exactly. in? You know, over, over the course of the event, <laughs> you know. So, I, I I hear you on that. So, um, let's give let if you don't mind, give us a very rough primer for those that aren't sure. like super familiar with what the world the world championship is. I know you referred the ETC, which was like the European tournament championship or something like that, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And. Um, but then it became the world championship, as you mentioned. Bill was instrumental in in uh, kind of getting with the other captains across the across the globe, really, and I guess really Europe, and 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 getting some teams together to do it. Um, but give us a give us a rough layout of like how does it work, like sure. who's involved? Because I mean, there's like 22 teams, I think, yeah, is, right? Yeah, Which is pretty good turnout. 22 teams of uh, 10 of eight players. So basically, the teams are broken around 10 roles: uh, eight players, one assistant, one coach. Uh, and then you okay. can, uh, any of those players can be the captain as well. Uh, the captain is only responsible for, in, inside the event, is responsible for pairings. So since this is a team event, okay. there is a process. We do a pairing process every round between each team. And both captains basically go forth and um, basically assign uh, what we call defender attackers. So what ends up happening is we know which mission is we're playing in each round. Like 
that's that's public information. What we don't know yep. is what the other team is going to be playing for that round. And the process goes: uh, we roll dice. Whoever wins the coin toss effectively uh, gets to choose. Uh, gets to basically put their defender first. So basically, it's they put one army down, face down. You don't know where they're playing in it. They reveal it, and then the uh, other team gets to put two attackers forward. And then the defender team, uh, defender or the other team gets to pick one of those two to be the per- the player that's playing their defender. And then it rotates. Oh, interesting. It rotates okay. the other way, basically. Uh, now the other yeah. advantage of being defender is you get to pick. Uh, type of table you're going to play on because they basically have all preset tables and it's they have two for, formulas uh, dense or light terrain uh, and and their the formula is decided it's based on mission so if you're like literally like okay i'm playing uh, a very like kind of like chunky defender style army and i'm going to play against something shooting i'm going to choose like dense terrain which has a lot of like right line of side blocking and big terrain pieces and so forth and so forth so there's that kind of whole strategy that goes around the pairing process. And literally, the event is won and lost by pairing strategy. Um, so yeah. that, that plays a huge role into how, how you do it. Obviously, what type of player you're bringing, what type of armies you're bringing, play a role into the pairing strategy. But the core component of the event is the pairing strategy. Um, yeah. That's what you get a lot. You get to see a lot of armies that are not in AOS Wars if you ever look at which teams are showing up and what they're playing. You're going to see armies you're like, I would never take this to a GT. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, they're, 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 they're yeah. not designed for GTs. They're designed for missions and certain pairings. And stuff. That's like, wow. That's like, that's how the, stra- the strategy was formulated. So. so let me ask you this, like um, other team events, for example, there's the um, ATC that's down in Nashville. Um, I think it's coming up in, in July. Is a four-player team tournament, right? And you have to have one army from each Grand Alliance there. Were there any kind of restrictions like that that you had to do in, in terms oh, yeah. of, like, um, yeah. you know, for your factions and things like so that? So if you go to the AOS Worlds uh, website, they have, like, the entire, like, fact breakdown of how, like, the, the construction armies goes. But there's no restriction mm-hmm. on, like, one, uh, one for each Grand Alliance. But the restriction is uh, you can only have one army, one faction, basically, and no war scroll uh-huh. can be shared across the uh, team. Meaning that, like, let's Whoa. say, like, uh, Bellacore, it can kind of fit into every army of Chaos, but yeah. you only have one yeah. Bellacore per team. Uh, and yeah, or like one Nagash or something like that, right? Exactly. And they did, like, something with, like, uh, uh, like for example, Legion of First Prince and Siege can have, like, horrors, right? Uh, so you can't share horrors across the two factions, effectively. Unless they're summoned, no. Wow. The only ex- the only the yeah. only thing with summon units can be whatever they don't have to follow that uh, restriction. Okay. Okay. But uh, the other thing they did is like you couldn't have the same artifact across the team, so no like multiple arcane tomes. Uh, you couldn't have uh, more than two of the same grand strategy across the team, so they'll hold the line everywhere or like predators domain everywhere. So in, in that case, you have to be a little bit like you know uh, thoughtful about how you design your list across the team. Oh, you had to be super strategic, I imagine. I'm, you know, because like Arcane Tome is so ubiquitous. Like, uh, it seems like every faction has Arcane Tome just because it's so good, right? Like, it, it was almost like the the Amulet of Destiny yeah. before that thing got nerfed, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, it's very interesting because that that will absolutely affect um yeah. the kind of list that you bring. Exactly. I mean, we had a in our 
team this year we have? Like, do like do does the arcane tome go towards the Stormcast player, or does it go to the Archaw player? Like, they're both like they're both could usually benefit hugely from it. So we have to, you know, we yeah. have to make a decision like you know, which team, which player is going to get it. Oh, that's very uh, that's very interesting. So tell me about um, who was on Team USA this year. Sure. Uh, well, uh, for so for the team this year, I was captain. Well, playing captain, aka the person who's playing, but also the captain. Uh, and then yep. Emma Mangles was on it. Uh, Marcella Hellu was mm-hmm. on it. Uh, Sean Clark was on it. Uh, originally, Gavin Grigar was on it, but he was uh, unfortunately had to step down. And, and then Jake Lepiev uh, stepped up and played for it uh, to, to rep him. And then we also had Anthony Tranelli, but he had to, unfortunately had to step down as well. So then we had Noah Singh. Uh, step up and play, uh, and then we yeah. had uh, Bill uh, as, and Roger Parker, both from Wicked Dicey, Bill Souza, obviously. Uh, and then the yep, last yep. Uh, player, I think that's did I did I, did I count Adelson? Uh, did I forget somebody else? No, I think that's it. I just didn't count myself immediately. Uh, and then, <laughs> then and then uh, and then we also had a, a coach was Tom Guan. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people know of Tom Guan right now because he's literally everywhere at all times playing whatever uh and then, <laughs> uh, and then for assistant we had a uh, cory uh, uh cory mckinney uh out of uh, austin as well uh probably the best assistant we've ever had um i think during the weekend he walked like 30 miles uh during like the tables and so forth like by the way yes oh my the gosh. assistant is all he can't talk to the players all he can do okay. is basically like pick up dice rearrange models like so in case like somebody's like you know, playing out with like huge bats of dice, like you would basically like rearrange their dice and put them in, in buckets, uh, preset buckets of like 20, 10, and so forth. Uh, so that would speed up because the game is played on a clock. Like we have an hour and a half, oh. uh, an hour and 40 minutes each player. And like, so like one of, you know, one of our players has huge blocks of zombies to help them speed up the game. Yeah. Basically, like reposition like the models after they're slain. Onto, so that way you have access to them quickly if you need it to summon them to the gravesite. Uh, the other thing too is he, he can like he, he you know you know he's our, he's a water boy so like you know players are asking for drinks coffee whatever or like he would he would he would be responsible for you know figuring out lunch for everybody uh, so like there was a lot of like logistical work that he did and the amount of walking he did during the event between all the tables drinks and so forth like yeah I think he walked like thirty miles or something like but be, you know best fucking assistant we've had like he just he just put in the work I think he he probably got more tired than any of us. <laughs> <laughs> dude that's insane i mean because you're, you're thinking like oh i'm at a gaming convention you don't think you're gonna be like you know walking 30 miles that's that is wild and and i love i love the silent assistant aspect of that too right you're like move those move those uh zombies and it's just like a head nod right and they just start moving zombies for you you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of great oh, yeah. and then the coach responsibility is basically he's the only person that like when the players call timeout they can go talk to the coach and then he's just there uh-huh. to basically give them like you know give them a heads up about what's happening on the table he's the only one that's allowed to ask questions at the table uh for the players and um and, and, you know we basically when we take timeouts it's like to ask them like hey should i make this move and then like because like sometimes we need to squeeze in like extra points so we might go for a helm like you know push for a hell mary play more yeah play conservatively depending on the situation across the other tables or what the results on the other tables were uh and that's uh that's the responsibility of the coach and obviously helping you know come up with the 
team strategy. I mean, all the players are, but like the coach is usually the one that's helping come up with uh, the overall strategy. And it sounds like the coach kind of has the final say if there's, you know, a lot of a lot of options, right, that that are going on. And um, so uh, that's it. Now, are you guys all playing at the same time, or is there only like four playing at once, or something We're like that? We're all playing at the same time. So as as we go through pairings, after pairings are done, each player starts mm-hmm. their their game effectively at the table. Uh, so there's eight games going at once, uh, and that's why like the, the assistant, the coach, you know, walking around, taking you know, the assistant can report back to the coach as well what he sees or what he thinks is happening. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of information flow going on at once to the coach, and this is like supposed to filter it down to the people at the table uh, so they can make better decisions. Like, I would often, like, call over uh, Tom not as a t- to just ask him, like, how, how are we doing as a team? Like, you know, where are we sitting? Like, do I need to push? Do I need to, like, not push? And so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that for the most part, like, the coach is a fairly, fairly important job because you have to have uh, a really good uh, foresight into how games are going. Because uh, the last thing you want to tell is the, the players that like, don't worry, don't push, and then like last minute, like push, 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 like. like uh, <laughs> You're like, oh, dang it! Yeah. Would have been good to know two rounds yeah, yeah, ago. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's a very hard job for sure. So, uh, did you play a Soulblight Grave Lords out there at, at Worlds no, as well? No, I played. I played Seraphon, uh, which is literally my least favorite army ever. I hate that army. Passion. I was playing. I was gonna say. So you went from Fire Slayers to Soulblight Gravelers to Seraphon. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that's like one of these is not like the others. Yeah, no, it, it was you know like the, the big. We had some roster changes, so we had some like shifts that happened, uh, which ended up like. So the big thing is like our overall strategy this year is we kind of figured out like what type of armies we want to take, and then we kind of started uh-huh. assigning players to those armies. Um, okay. So that's kind of how I ended up with Seraphon because we were basically kind of like, well, we want a Seraphon player or Seraphon army, but like of all the options we have for players, like I guess if you're gonna have to play Seraphon, like it was kind of like it's not necessarily like you know there's works in progress. We're trying to come up with better ways of doing this because we yeah. necessarily think this is a good way to do it. But it was just kind of like between the roster changes we had, plus that, um, it wasn't uh, super ideal because uh, for. You know, for the most part, like, one of the big things that, like, you know, like, let's look at Team France, for example. Team France has, uh-huh. like, their team is actually, like, 50 players. And when they come up with the army they want to take in the, the strategy, they just find the best player that plays that army in that team. Uh, and, oh, and I see. And they basically put them on there. And then they just, they just practice every week until they, like, in person. Uh, yeah. For Team America, it's not as possible. Like, we did, we did have a very good... Uh, uh, deep bench this year in the sense we had like 20 players uh, but like it's still like unfortunately the best Seraphon player uh, was Basil and like we like he just like I don't think it was in the cards for him to come to Europe it's a very expensive trip yeah so like it, it like cost is a huge factor in, uh, for people who play for Team America because like, we, we we typically only do one in-person practice and we use a lot of TTS to practice games but this year we're gonna okay. we're gonna switch to a two two in player uh, practice so we're gonna we're gonna have effectively like two trips somewhere we're all gonna meet in the united states to do a weekend of practicing because uh, that's basically what all the other teams do and it, there's right, huge right. value out of it uh for the most part but it's a lot harder when you're in the united 
United States. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, France is the size of Texas, right? Yeah, like, yeah. the entire country is, like, one state of ours. Yeah, so. well, plus, like, 90% uh, of the population is located around Paris. So, like, it's... Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it's very, exactly. it's very easy for them. And it's the same thing for a lot of other countries, for the most part. Yeah. Um, it's just for... We, if Team America wants to like basically be the best it can be, uh, we're gonna, gonna need to start doing more in person practice. So, TTS so, yeah, man, you came. I like I, I spawned so many questions from what you were just saying right there. The first, the first question that I have is, um, you know, you you talked about, hey, we want to play Seraphon, right? Like we know that that's an army that we want to bring. Was that driven based on the missions that you guys had? You knew that that was like going to be an effective army in a couple of the missions or something like so that? So every team the approaches pairing strategy differently. Uh, we had a pairing yeah. strategy we really liked for Milan, which is two AOS ones ago. And we tried to yeah. take it, uh, try to repurpose it for uh, this new edition, which had you know, basically battle tactics. Uh, and it actually, in hindsight, it kind of bite us in the ass. Uh, but we know like after the tournament because we ended up placing we were third in milan and we ended up we were running for third in prague but then we ended up uh uh sorry we took second in milan and we were running for for uh yeah, third and we ended up basically bouncing down to eighth after we played uh, denmark which mm-hmm. were previous year's champions uh and the most part like our pairing strategy is we we would pick four defenders we were basically either constantly going to defend each round, and we built four okay. defender armies, and one of them was the Thunder Lizard uh, army, and then we basically yeah. then built four attackers for the types of you know, mission plus armies they might play into, because that's the thing, the attacker mm. rules is the more, like, harder one to tell, because you when you're defender, you know, you can basically pick a defender and say, like, you're always going to be playing these missions each round. Right, and that's what we, that's yep, what we did yep. with Emma, it's like because she played Nurgle and she and and her like passport list, and we basically put her on the same exact three missions, and she ended up like yep. we she had, was the third highest scoring player at the event, like so like yeah like you know in some cases that strategy works well, in some cases it didn't also it didn't work very well, uh and yeah. and so for the most part like it uh we just we try to like I think that's like after round two we try to like we threw the playbook out. We started putting Seraphon as attackers and so on because we were not that atta- the Seraphon was having a hard time defending. It's just that there was another defender that was uh, another attacker that was like having a, hard, a much harder time attacking. So we had to swap position. Oh, I see. And then, but most other teams like like let's say England sometimes and they have a bridge. I think AOS coach does a did a recording uh, where, where Face Hammer did a recording of their captain to, and he goes over their uh-huh. strategy. The way they approach spring is very more fluid. Uh, they basically look at like their player and their players list and they're like okay like do you think like what's your they do red white they do red yellow green uh pairings which is basically like i can't beat this army so red and then like i think i can maybe squeeze like a wit so he's yellow and then like yeah i can definitely win against this army green and not like a player just specifically generalized army yeah and then you do the same thing yep, for yep. missions and then they go like can you ready you know can i can you win on this mission like no can you like blah 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 so then they basically go through that and then so when they do pairings they're like okay it's this mission uh, against this defender so like let's look at like the best potential attackers we have for that oh and interesting so they get like a big old like heat heat map matrix yeah, they do it through, thing that they, they use do decision tree, yeah basically. uh and that's how they do their pairings for the most part and they, they, it works very well for them because they, they ended up you know winning the event this year uh 
uh, and they usually have yeah. one event, the event. I think they're no, I don't know how long. It's like they're basically the person, to, the team to beat at the event. Uh, usually, if you beat them, you're probably gonna win the event most of the time. Uh, and gotcha. And so for the, like, it's a it's a good working strategy. We just we we uh, we wanted to try. We wanted to do something else. And once again, it comes down to the fact that like we don't have you know obviously we can adapt and adjust now, and that's what we're gonna do. But like by the time it's like we we don't have a the availability of a deep roster as much and also practice yeah right it's uh, right so it comes out of that i know some other european teams have the same problem even though they're smaller countries they don't necessarily get a lot of players applying because every team right. does their selection process differently no there's no yep, consensus yep. consensus or consensus for like same same system right so that brings me that brings me to the second question that I had. You actually brought it right around perfectly. Um, what is the selection process for Team America? So Team America does basically we take anybody who wants to join. So like in the sense that like we have what we call the Minutemen and the Minutemen program, which is basically our kind of our bench or farming system, where we we take whoever wants to come to the team. If it be it like play like you know two years or play three years, you know whenever you feel like financially you can do it, uh, and then we just basically like we have a rigorous process of it. We play, we practice, and then we use the, the Minutemen as a resource to help us hone like our strategy and so forth. Uh, and then they also we also have some really good coaches that help like the Minutemen player like give you know feedback and critique to these players to try to get them you know, to play better or so forth. You know, and for the most part like. Anybody who wants to join Team America can join Team America in that sense. Now, uh-huh. the roster selection is a bit more complicated. Uh, the roster right. selection is comes down to two things. Um, we have a bunch of trial events that we do during the year where we try to put players outside of their comfort zone because Worlds is not a GT. It's not LBO. It's not... What, right. You're not gonna yep. play... It's not part of the ITC. It's not... Yeah, and, and right. you're, you're like... going to play games where, like, it is wacky. Like you're not playing a GT yeah. list, and you're not necessarily. You're going to be like on your hinge. You're also going to be playing against players who are not necessarily interested in winning. So they're not interested in like making bad play. They're not interested in like being aggressive because they don't have to. They're tr- they wanted to knock you out of the pairing uh, in the strategy, so they're trying to not lose much, right? Like because the whole right. thing is about right. point differential. So for them, yeah, they're like slow rolling you kind of exactly. thing, right? So, yep. uh, I mean, for context, for example, I played uh, an OBR player, and Malone, my Fire Slayers, who basically sat on his one objective with his entire army for five turns. Never even tried, oh <laughs> never even tried to get to the other objectives on the side. or And he just let me, like, walk down the field to his entire army and then just fight him in his own objective for the rest of the game. That w- and eventually, on the last turn, I managed to take it away from him. But like literally, that was like his entire strategy. So some players at Worlds are, are literally they're not they're not competing to win like a singles event. They're competing to win a team. Yeah, event. right. So like it, it's a yep. very different mentality. So we do a lot of like we try to we try to test American players, which are used to playing GTs, with some challenges mm-hmm. that make gives them an hint, a little bit of a, a of a look see into like what kind of games they're going to be playing into when they get to the team event, right? And then we try to. We, take notes on that and then eventually we, we start talking about strategy about like what type of player like what type of armies we want to bring and then we try to pick the players that fit that army or that play style the best we can uh, obviously yeah but it is you know the big problem is once again 
very expensive travel to Europe for a lot of Americans. And for for, for context, it, this was Emma's first time in Europe when she went to Prague. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, and it, I mean, that's a not a bad place to go for your first time. No, no, it was, Prague is gorgeous, you know. Uh, obviously, I mean, not where we were <laughs> staying in Prague, but yes, Prague is gorgeous. Ah, that's hilarious. Uh, but for the most part, like, it, it, you know, um, you know, I, this is why we had, you know, two players drop, you know, out of eight uh, before the event, like, uh, because we, you know, financial costs or work or whatever, like, there's always a reason, you know, like, and, and it's also the reason why we don't get a lot of applicants necessarily like the other teams because, uh, it's an, exp- it's a, you know, we were very candid. Like when you vol- when you sign up the team, there's a question and answer. One of the things it just tells you straight up, like, are you, if you plan on playing this year, are you going to be able to afford like $12,000, like basically travel costs between like the, yeah, I was going to ask like, what's, everything. yeah. What's the average cost to be on team USA? Is it $12,000 is what you guys kind of estimate? I think it, we, we, we picked the highest number we, we kind of estimated just because that way give them the full brunt of, of, of it and we yeah. want them to feel like you know if you can afford that then you're, you're comfortable enough uh because you know it, it is it is like i said it's a huge financial cost to, to it like the between traveling twice in the united states staying in airbnbs or yep. hotels and then going to europe for almost a week effectively uh so yep. it is effect it, it has a I mean, Prague was cheap. Uh, in, in, in like compared to Milan, Prague was a much cheaper venue. But it was, <laughs> yeah, it, totally. it was still like you know, between the flight and everything, at least like two to three grand, not counting food and, and drinks. Because hey, it's Team yeah. America. We do a lot of fucking drinking. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, for that context, that uh, you know, that was. Uh, uh, and, oh, by the way, if you. For anybody who wants to see like what this is about, uh, Prague was totally uh, televised and streamed by two streaming services. Uh, one was Honest Wargamer, if you want to see the English ones, mm-hmm. and then the French also had their own streaming service uh, called the French Wargaming TV or something. Uh, and they both streamed like almost the entire event. And you can actually watch Team America play the home team, uh, which is the Prague team. Uh, I think round three is when we played Prague. Oh, cool. Uh, so, okay. Or, sorry, not Prague. Very uh, good. Czechoslovakia, right? Czech Republic. Or uh, Czech Republic, yeah. sorry. I'm I'm that's uh Czechoslovakia, that's like pre nineteen ninety. It's like when we went to middle school, that's you know, Czechoslovakia was still exactly. around. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. So um yeah, I mean the cost obviously is a significant thing. Do you guys do any like fundraising or anything like that to help offset costs? Especially like for someone like you where you're flying from the west coast to Prague is almost probably double the cost from someone in New York going to Prague. Yeah, and then, right. And then the other thing too for me is like you know there's when I before I joined Team America like one of the things I used to be a huge competitive 40k player and I always felt the 40k team, uh, which the equivalent 40k team was always kind of an East Boys like clubhouse, uh, East Coast clubhouse uh-huh. because it was only ever players from the East Coast. And it was like in 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 hindsight, like I realized now after playing for team AOS team, it's just like it's just because like it's expensive for West Coast players, like because like if you if I want to yeah. do like an in person practice, I I'm gonna pick spots in the East Coast or at least pick spots in like close enough to the other like where most of the team is, right? I don't want to make like right try to find a central location right. somewhere, right? Yeah. That's not too far yeah, away. In, when the when we played Milan, we had, we picked Denver because we had one player in Denver. I was on the West Coast, and it was a relatively affordable flight for everybody else. Great, great yeah. venue we were staying at. Uh, we were like in a 
Dodge and the Mountain Series. Uh, oh, sweet. And then, um, and then this year we picked uh, Pittsburgh because, like, literally I was the only one not from the Northeast. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh was a yeah. great place because, you know, Bill and Roger lived there and they had, like, tables yep. supplying terrains. Fantastic. Uh, next year we're probably looking at, like, either, like, somewhere in Texas and then somewhere in the East Coast again because it, it's just, it's yeah. just, that's just the reality of most of the team right now, at least the people who have applied to be on the team, are living coast we have some yeah i mean population density says like it's gonna more people are gonna be from you know the the east coast than elsewhere because that's where a lot of people are right so i think if you were to draw like a median line it would it would uh go through like uh west virginia i think is what i saw yeah you know of population so it's 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 not surprising and and those those are things you know like you know i sometimes hear like uh, other west coast players uh, especially on my team, <laughs> you know who you are, complaining about how, like, uh, East, you know, Team America is, more, is for East Coast people. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm literally living on the West Coast. Like, how, what more fact do you want? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But it, yeah, but I, I get it. It's, it. it's it's a financial investment, for sure. And in terms, of, to answer your question about fundraising, uh, we started thinking about it last year. The problem we still haven't figured out is, hey, you know, we're not, the team is not like incorporated in any way, uh, so we're, like, uh-huh. we have to go figure that out. Uh, you know, or maybe yep. look at, you know, because that stuff is you know, we don't want to put somebody's like we don't want somebody to get sued or something, you know, effectively. Uh, and then oh, hundred percent, yeah, absolutely. And then it's also hard to decide how, who gets the fun and who doesn't, right? Like, there's also that whole mechanic. Like, some people on the team don't necessarily need the help, and then some others probably do need the help. But then some people might feel a little bit like you know heard that they weren't even offered or they didn't access so it's just like it's hard to figure that out and even like even even yeah. the europeans uh especially the captain of the team denmark was like you know what like to help you guys maybe we should like increase the ticket price for all the teams by like five dollars so like that fund can go to you guys you know buying tickets and i appreciate the sentiment but the problem still like revolves around that issue of of like how do you disperse these funds right uh when when yeah. dice baron you know, basically did the, the, the Team America dice, and he asked us like, "What well, we want to do with like any of the, the the profit like to go back to the team?" And and me and you know, Bill talked about it. And I was like, "Well, the profit should actually go to a charity because we don't know how we would disperse these funds to anybody. So that's why we asked him to donate any any profit made from these dice to a charity. And I think he picked a Ukraine, yeah. uh, Ukraine charity uh, for the work we've done. So." Yeah, it's it's a challenge we have to deal with. This is like the logistic aspects, you know, we gotta deal with effectively. Yeah, and again, I mean, you guys weren't incorporated, so taking money would be like, all right, Bill, are you gonna hold this money yeah, or am I? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> Which it's all... gets really awkward really fast, yeah, right? Yeah. And um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the other one thing I was thinking about is that like if you guys ran like a Team USA tournament where, you know, you charge a certain amount of tickets. Like, for example, the Nova Open, the proceeds go to charity, yep. right? Um, if you guys set yourself up as a nonprofit sports, um, nonprofit sports, which is a thing, right, tax liability, um, it could be considered a charity event as well. 
um, to help you help pay help defray costs and things like that. But you're still with the challenge of like, of course, figuring out who gets it, and that's a that would be a year by year, case by case basis that you guys would have to go through because you know you're on the west coast it's more expensive for you so that's an easy one to be like okay well let's throw them a couple of bucks but then maybe there's somebody on the east coast that's like i would love to come but i literally can't afford it you know and so um harder to hard it's hard to do it and you guys almost have to you know i'm thinking because i used to be the uh, president of a rugby club out here and um Oh, let me tell you, I love that sport. I coach my son right now. In fact, I told you the other day I was late from rugby practice. I was coaching his practice. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah, but uh, anyway, I was I was the president of a rugby club out here. And let me tell you, like, a lot of those same questions revolved around everything, right? Yeah. Fortunately, we were like a 501c3 um, charity so that we, you know, we had our own bank accounts and you know, our two person check so that, you know, nobody ended up with money in their pockets that they shouldn't be, you know, and stuff like that. So we had, we had a whole system set up, but then it was like, okay, well, like, you know, this guy really needs to play for us, but he can't pay his dues this year. Do we, do we just waive that for him, you know? And, and like, is that fair to the other people? So, you know, again, it was a case by case basis, but, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's something interesting to explore because you guys are obviously going to always have these costs uh, of going to Europe because they're not all going to come to the United States, maybe once in a blue moon, but I doubt it. You know, that's a lot of people coming, uh, coming here. I know some of the European uh, council members want to try to do uh, an AOS world like event in United States. Um, yeah, because uh, a they think they they want to start branching out. Like they don't want to they, they want to have like AOS will be the premier team event, but they all want to start branching out and running like smaller team events. So uh, you know when you talk like what about Team America running their own event? I, honestly, I think yeah. I think we're gonna have to do that anyway because I think the AOS world like council wants to branch out and make like do more team events across Europe and specifically the United States. Um, and so we're probably gonna see those eventually happen. And and for us and yeah. for us right now, like it, like I would love to be a, to be in a you know a, a place in time where like the entire team is totally subs, subs, you know subsidized and like nobody has to pay anything to travel, uh, stay at a hotel, and maybe that day will come. Yep. We're gonna work on, on on making it happen. But like you're right, like the first step, be a cor- be a be a, 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 a you know a faceless. A, a faceless company. Don't be. <laughs> don't be. <laughs> right? Don't be Joe. You know Joe or Bill or Jeremy. Like it's. it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we gotta work on. We, yeah, right. We gotta work on that. Like you know. Get some structure around it. You gotta elect some officers. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a whole process for sure. You know, get a board together of like people that um, like want to help out that may not necessarily play or travel with the team, yeah. team but that you know can give advice yeah. and. Advice on like how to run an organization, not necessarily play the game, right? So, yeah, that might... um, lots of lots of lots of things to do for sure. Like that's how it always is. But uh, it's very exciting because I think if you guys were to run some team events, um, I know that, um, like I said, I was talking with some friends about going down to the ATC, which is in in uh, Tennessee, and it, that was a big team tournament thing. Um, this year, I guess it's been kind of gutted because they um, they lost support from Games Workshop and stuff like that, and so a lot of people I know aren't going to it as much. And I mean, which is a shame because it sounded like a really fun event. And um, it was in Tennessee, so it was kind of hard to get to for a lot of people. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. like who who goes to Tennessee, like really, and and I you know, I don't mean that in a, like a bad way, but it's like it's off the beaten path. Is it? Uh, you know, is it um, Chattanooga? Uh, I think so. Yeah. 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 I see yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think there's a market out there for some interesting team tournaments because, like you said, we do a lot of grand tournaments here. We do a lot of RTTs. We do, you know, like all the list building we do is like, how do I? How do I plan for all of these, all the meta that's out there right now, that type of thing. And, you know, some of these scenarios that you're talking about are very interesting because it's like, you know, like being a defender and being like, okay, well, like this is my mission, right? I'm just, I'm just a defender. You're going to build your list very differently yep. knowing that, you know, that, that that's how it's going to, and you're going to play differently too. And I think it's very um, fun. I had a great conversation a couple podcast episodes ago on this Talking Warhammer where um, I don't know I don't know if you know Scooter Walters yeah, Scooter. he's a big Iron Jaws player yeah. yeah so Scooter was on the podcast and he was saying like I don't think that we play Age of Sigmar as creatively as we can you know like we're all so focused on the GTs and the RTTs and the ITC and stuff like that that we could be playing this in like other interesting ways as well that we just don't tend to because we're sort of in the same like cycle of you know the the big the big tournament seasons and stuff like that. So I think I think if you guys were to run something like one, it could be a great fundraiser for you. Two, it could be a great recruiting pool for you. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. get get a bunch of people and kind of see what they can do. And three, I think it could just be a great time for people to, you know, play play in a different kind of tournament, different kind of format. Yeah, it would uh, definitely uh, so. give us an eye opening into like other strategies because like that's the thing like even in europe like they they have team tournaments but like they don't have a lot of them right <laughs> like, like yeah so like yeah. it's hard to like and they're usually not like they're not stored like, you can't really get data into like you line aside to how it went because they don't usually use like they might not use pcp or wargames e or whatever their wargames co version of it like so in in, in that yeah. regard it is kind of like it'd be a lot more interesting to see uh uh like bigger more transparent team events so we could see new strategies develop uh, into it because like you know for most teams like they're just coming up of you know <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing they're just like they're just trying new things and see what sticks on the wall <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> so, no. yeah that's great um very interesting so um to circle you know back around to the minutemen program that you guys have um you're did i hear you right in saying that you're taking anyone or do you have to like apply do you have to yeah, like they're, be a certain they're, they're, play they're, level there's I mean, an like... application process and like the expectation is okay. that anybody who comes to the minutemen like is hoping to be on team america at some point right yeah and then and then okay. it's you know we we definitely we, there is some calling that happens every year obviously because some people change their their direction or they realize like maybe that's not going to happen for them i don't know like there's just like there's mm -hmm. there's things that happen but for the most part like the team is fairly transparent and open you just have to the the only thing we ask is like you know if you're applying to this it's because you're trying you want to play on team america at some point in the future preferably right the next event but we get it like if you're not like because we're we need we need to grow the team we need to be like france in a sense we need to be able to pick players and say like all right, well, this year we decided we're going to play, uh, you know, Bone Reapers, and we're going to pick you, Alex, as the best Bone Reaper player. We know you're the best Bone Reaper player, so we're going to put you on the right. team, right? Like, we, we need that level. Because right now, like, 
the way we've been doing it is mostly like we've just been picking the best players that are you know basically volunteering or signing up and that can afford it and and, right. and the mistake we make is we keep trying to make them play like something not necessarily what they're good at because that's that's <laughs> how we win team events it's not necessarily winning like playing the thing you're good at <laughs> so <laughs> right right yeah which uh i mean it's kind of counterintuitive right because like especially if you're you know if you're like an amazing soul blight gravelord player and you're like okay you know you may have to change your list and stuff like that you're still going to know the synergies you're still going to know the right. you know the 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 strengths of the of the army that you're able to adjust on the fly a little bit easier than if you're like pick up seraphon and you're like okay well i guess i'm playing seraphon right so you know, not that not that you. Don't, I'm not saying that you don't know Seraphon, but oh, it no, no, no. you know, probably wasn't your natural army no, that you have been playing, right? Way so. more practice before I even went to AOS World. Like, like I'll give you a context of like, like this is like something I kept like screwing up. Uh, I would like literally in my hero phase, I'm like, all right, don't forget to use the fusel conflagration. You know, tell that to myself. <laughs> we get to the shooting phase, forgot to use the fusel conflagration. Like we just literally talked about this, Jeremy. Like, come on, <laughs> like, uh, like things like that. Like they're not necessarily hugely impactful, uh, but they they can have an impact. Uh, you know, if you spike. But like it's like things like that, like the nickel and diamond mechanics. Because uh, like the problem of like armies like Seraphon, they have like a million rules that's can only be worked in very specific sequencing, uh, and like either start and whatever. And um, in, in AOS worlds, like, you better believe, like, if you don't do something at the start of the Europe phase when you're supposed to, the other guy knows, and he's gonna, not going to let you take it back. So, like, <laughs> so, so yeah. that is, like, and it's okay. Like, it's the premier world event. You're not expected to, you're expected to be a very good player, and you're not supposed to just basically ask for, you know, mulligans. <laughs> it's so, oh, yeah, I, right, right. So, yeah. <laughs> Very good. So, um, so I uh, the, the last question about the Minutemen. If you are interested, who, where do they go? Um, like, where should they look up? Like, should they tweet you? Like, like how how do how so, do they how do they uh, put in their application? So the uh, look, you know, follow us on Twitter. It's the Team America AOS handle, and then uh, there will be a eventually and soon there will be a, a link posted with basically the questionnaire for signing up, and then if you uh, sign up and. and accepted you'll be invited to the, the team america discord and then the start of your journey begins there <laughs> in a sense and uh for the most part like that's it that's uh that's the early application process uh you know granted like you know there's we might not take everybody because like we're trying to not be like more than like a hundred players at once in the discord because it okay. can get a little okay. bit crazy uh but for the yeah. most part like you know i last year we only got 72 applicants all right, and only about like a third of them ended up actually being active on the Discord. So, you know, like we, and not like I said, not a lot of not everybody applies to be like to play that year. They apply to hopefully play, you know, hopefully next year, the year after. And in some cases, some players just apply because they want to get better, and then if they feel like they can, they, you know, they've learned something or taken something away from the team, uh, then they might like actually say, okay, maybe I'm ready to apply for the team. So, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's great because I think there's some people that are like, oh, I'm I'm really interested in this, but I just I can't do it. Yeah. Maybe this year or next year or something like that. But I'd love to like even get better and and learn and you know see if it's really for me. And so I I think this uh, Minutemen program that you guys have is 
absolutely a step in the right direction of, of growing that player base and, and good on you guys for instituting it and, and getting, I know, um, I think, well, I, I say, I know, but I'm pretty sure that, um, one of my, uh, good friends here, Sergio Ortiz is, uh, is in the Minutemen program, um, as well. So Sergio lives just around the corner from me. Um, but he never comes and plays me, even though I keep asking him. <laughs> so I don't know if it's because I'm not good enough or if our just schedules don't align. I think it's the latter, but, uh, I, I, you know. Sergio's a great guy. I'm sure it's because uh, you're not good enough. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, touche. The podcast is over. I get it. Like, Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I live here in the, in the Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. We're um, – I am blessed to have a lot of very good, very good players um, that live around me that I play with regularly, and um, I I am nowhere near the caliber that they are. But I get better because you know I guess they say iron sharpens iron. I think I'm more like a rock, and they're just kind of like polishing me. You know, like oh yeah, they're 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 steel and they're really good, and I'm not that good. But you yeah, know, good that, times though. I enjoy playing with them. Still. That is my favorite part of the hobby. So. It's like you know, for the Corsairs, like we've had a lot more like AOS interest in AOS because you know this team used to be more of a 40k team uh and uh -huh. like kind of like helping those players like effectively coaching them through like how to play their armies and like and teaching them things that like are important about the game and like that's my always been my favorite part of the game is like you know like putting him through the dojo in a sense right right like it's yeah uh, and like you know so much so that like you know our my our teammate and my friend uh ben schmuckler finally won his first gt at uh the area open like this year after like, oh nice! After like a lot of basically me pounding his head and over and over and over <laughs> and telling him like, "Why are you doing this? Why are you doing? Explain to me what's your out. Like I don't understand this this move. Like it's over and it's over." So, uh, you know, in, in that in that sense, like that that is what I hope uh, Team America brings to anybody any of the leagues. So, yeah, that's great. Well, Jeremy, um, you guys, I, I have I have just two questions for you, real quick. Who was your hardest opponent this last year? Uh, well, Team Denmark for sure. Denmark is always the hands down. Like, there's something about the Danish that is absolutely phenomenal to play against. They played the cleanest game of Warhammer you ever play. But really, they also like when they're at the table. Like, for example, they don't drink during the event. They don't like. They don't like. They basically they go in to win it big. Like they have no chill whatsoever. But they play super clean and super by intent. And like and they're super and like incredibly. Rich. I love playing against them. The only downside, their sense of humor could use some help. Holy God! Because <laughs> like, uh, you can you can. That's so funny. I'll give you a context. So like literally, I'm playing this guy and he's shoving my shit. It's like all plus boils against Thunder Lizard. Charge my entire army, turn one. It's just like box me in my deployment zone, and I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm like, I look at him and I'm like, you know, if I make this super hell married play, I could maybe like do this and like that. That can happen, and then I, I can like actually like table completely turn the tables on you. Bear in mind, like that move is completely impossible. I'm just making a joke. Yeah, and he's he looks at me. He's like, yeah, that would be bad for me. I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> it's like, in complete seriousness, death, like, n not at all, did not, like, register it as a joke. And I was just like, okay, well, this is going to be a lot harder. <laughs> like, this is going to be a long game. Yeah. <laughs> like, not that they're not funny. They're just, like, at the table. They're, like, bloody intense. And they, 
you know, they have a tradition of playing almost like 400 games before between each AOS Worlds. Like, they practice every wow. weekend, and they, and they just try to, like, you know, they get as good as they possibly can for the, the Worlds. Like, that's their... Because they won it in Milan, and then they... Unfortunately, we knocked them out of the podium when they played us, because we, we robbed them of enough points, but they couldn't podium. And then the first round opponent that we played, which was Sweden, ended up being third over them, effectively. Uh, <laughs> so... Wow. So, in, in that sense, like, it is... Um, they were the hardest. We had a lot of fun. We played a lot of great. Like I don't think there's any way yeah. to have a bad time in AOS Worlds. In fact, I'll share a little story with it, uh, for everybody before I go. Uh, we had it was the first warmer event where I got to see somebody arrested by the police, which was what? Yeah, we had an Irish player that unfortunately uh, got into some trouble with the uh, Prague police, uh, uh, and literally they came around asking uh, people at the table like, "Have you seen this man?" And it's a really bad photo of, of him and. Uh, <laughs> And then eventually they caught him and because he turned himself in. He was just like, he literally looked at his opponent and was like, all right, well, I think you win this game. I got to go uh, deal with uh, something. And he walked away and went to go turn himself in. And then, oh my and then, gosh. And then two hours later, came back from the police station after paying his fine and played next round. <laughs> that is hilarious. And of course it's the Irish. I'm just going to throw that out there, right? Like, it would be less funny if it was like a French guy, but it, because it's the Irish, it makes it a little bit more funny in my oh, view. Oh my God. So they were, they that's were that's proud. amazing. They were proud for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so that's amazing. Well, Jeremy, thank you for coming on. I learned a lot about uh, the worlds. It sounds like a lot of fun. Like part of me wants to push the um, you know Minuteman application button, but I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> um, just just because I I've got a very busy life, right? Sure. With like my kids and stuff like that. But um, I'll tell you, like uh, I, I'm keeping it in mind. It sounds very interesting, and uh, you know, one day I wouldn't mind jet setting off to Europe somewhere to play in a crappy part of a beautiful city. <laughs> Um, you know, <laughs> and, uh, Go for, and enjoy it. But it sounds like fun though, you know, yeah, it, you know, bar, the, the venue was just the only regrettable thing is the AC broke down the first day and it was very hot. Oh. And then also oh. it's a hotel that was like, like communist era hotel. So like, uh, honest, yeah. Morgan had a great, a great joke about it. It's like, as if somebody never told them the communist, communism ended because it was literally the feel of the hotel. Like, holy shit. <laughs> That is too funny. Uh, You're like, hey, this is a blast from the past. I, I am in Czechoslovakia. Uh, oh, here. my God. It was eerie. <laughs> like, it was very eerie. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's just, you know, ne- it, there's a chance next year it's going to be in Amsterdam, or Amsterdam uh, which will be a great venue. Uh, so. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, very enlightening. Uh, I want to I hear more about what you do. I um, I'm following the coursers on Twitter. Is there somewhere else that I can follow you, or is that, is that your Twitter handle pretty much? Oh, no, I have my, I have my Twitter handle. It's just my first and last name. Because, um, you know, that's okay. the advantage of being French with a very long consonant and last name. You're pretty much guaranteed no one has it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. And I checked, and I was already following Team USA, so check on that one. Um, but, uh Yeah. Like, uh, thank you for coming on. Like, this is this was great. Oh, I'm already following you. Oh, perfect. Yeah, very good. Um, so yeah, like this was this was great. I can't hear. I can't wait to hear about your exploits as we go. Uh, I wanna I wanna hear more about what the Minutemen are doing. So maybe as we get a little bit closer to next year's Worlds, we can check in again and and see how the preparations are going and 
and uh, what you guys are doing. But uh, in the meantime, uh, don't be a stranger at the Nova Open. Let's uh, let's catch up and uh, and and chat for a bit. That that'd be awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so for our listeners out there, thank you for uh, thank you for listening to our podcast tonight. Uh, you can like and share this. So you know, obviously, you found it on your favorite podcast uh, outlet, but share it with your friends and um, feel free to leave us some feedback. Uh, like you, like you said, you can contact Jeremy on his Twitter or Team USA, um, <clears throat> Team USA for AOS, and uh, or you can hit us up at Tabletop and Beyond and on Twitter and Facebook and. And we'll uh, we'll respond to ask us some questions and 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 we'll see if we can't get you some answers. So thank you very much for listening and uh, have a great night, everybody.